Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Craig Dyson. My wife, Kara, and I are the pastors of Convo Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and builds your faith. Enjoy the message. Acres and monsters. And a huge part of what I focused on was finding your inner artist, finding the artist that God has created you to be, and at the same time, fighting off your inner critic. You see, I'm a firm believer that, that all of humanity, that all of humanity is creative, that all humanity is an artist. And you might be sitting there saying, Josh, I'm not, a, I'm not a musician like this amazing band. I'm not a graphic designer or a videographer like all the things we see on the screen. I'm not a, I'm not a painter. I'm not a poet. I, there's nothing artistic. There's nothing creative about me. You see, I'm a firm believer that who you are, the, the essence of who you are, at the core of your humanity, that God has created you with a unique soul, that who you are is original content. Therefore, the life that, that you build, the life that you create, that makes you an artist at work, and that makes your life a work of art. But you see, I'm, I'm also a firm believer in this, that the biggest roadblocks that we have in this life of creating is ourselves. <laughs> case, case in point, we are our own worst enemies. We let these lies, or what I call in the book monsters, we let these monsters creep up into our, into our lives. And they tell us these lies that our names are not creative, our names are not artistic, that we are not called to create, but we are inadequate and insecure and we're full of self-doubt. And we end up just feeling like we're just not good enough. What I love, though is that, that first song that we sang today that we can see in the future of our lives this miracle of a life that Jesus has called us to create. So no matter what the enemy, no matter what these monsters tell you about your life, you have this person called Jesus that has broken the barrier between you and him, that has brought down the, the walls of self-doubt so you can live this life that he has called you to create. As I was writing this book, one of the huge things that I recognized was this, that all of humanity, in some capacity, all of humanity is creating one specific project at the same time. That is, we are all creating some form of a future. We are all, as artists, painting the future. And I think all of us, to some degree, we, we've had examples of people in our lives that have built these beautiful futures. I can think of, we, we just celebrated Martin Luther King Jr. Day, MLK Day, huge MLK march in San Francisco. Someone who denied the status quo and brought racial reconciliation back to the United States. I can think of people like him. I can think of people that, like Pastor Craig. I don't really honestly agree with this, but he would say LeBron James is someone who... This is the only thing, y'all, that we'd probably disagree on, but that's okay. That's okay. We're in the finals, so I'll just say that. <laughs> Got him. We can all think of somebody in our lives, specifically heroes who have created 
the most amazing, jaw-dropping future. But I think also to some degree, all of us have found people or seen people in our lives who have done the complete opposite, that they've actually destroyed the future that God has called us to create. The ironic thing about that is I would say for me, the person who showed me what it is to have just a non-artistic life is my art teacher in second grade. Let, let me explain. So I was, I was a pretty stubborn child growing up. I had a problem believing in Santa Claus as a child. Easter Bunny, I laughed it off. I'm thinking to myself, this is, uh, this is bogus. Uh, I hope there's no kids in this room. And um, If there's one thing that I believed when I was seven years old, it's this. There's one thing that I believed. I firmly believed that my art teacher was Satan. <laughs> For those of you that are kind of freaked out right now, let me explain. Okay, so second grade, we're, we're in art class, okay? And all I remember is my art teacher wanted us to create these paper mache wind chimes. Now, there's already a flaw in this project. When you hit two pieces of paper together, they don't make a sound. So being this stubborn, strong-willed seven-year-old that I was, and probably still, still, still am, yeah, still am, um, I decided to take this project into my own hands. So I made these paper mache balls, and I put them on the string. I made this very ineffective wind chime. And listen, this was the early 90s, so school was a little bit different. I went over to this, like, corner of our art class, and these, like, leftover pieces of, like, shards of metal so I decided, I'm just going to super glue these to this paper mache wind chime. Now, my art teacher also loved vibrant colors. It was Easter. I, obviously, I am not a very vibrant guy. Black, black is, is my thing. So I just painted this, this black paper mache wind chime with shards of metal. It, made to, it looked like a medieval battle weapon, if I was honest. But I was so in love with my creation. It made sound, unlike all the other seventh, or second graders. Uh, I was so happy with my project. And I remember my art teacher going desk to desk to desk saying, good job, A plus, well done, you get a high five. And she gets to my desk and she looks down at my medieval battle weapon and she goes, my God. I'm hold it up, and I'm thinking, do, do, do you like it? And she goes, what is this? And so I told her, I'm like, listen, so you told me to use green, yellow, red, blue, not my thing, so I painted it black, but then also, like, when these paper mache balls hit each other, they, they make sound. This is a effective wind chime. She cuts off what I'm saying and rips my paper mache wind chime out of my hands. It says this. She says, you're getting an F, and this is going in the trash. Y'all, I was seven years old. Do you realize what type of emotional trauma that would do to a child? Throw away his art project. It's messed up. So th there's two things that I remember from this moment in, in my past. Two things. Number one is this. I think all of you can agree with me here. Um, my art teacher was saying. Second thing is this. Um, this was the first time in my life that I felt like a failure. Not the, not the thing that I had created 
was a failure, but who I was, like at my core, that I was a failure. What I realized was I carried this emotional capacity throughout the rest of my, my life. I get done with high school. Your grades aren't good enough, so you can't get into the college that you wanted to go to. I guess I'm just not good enough. You're in college, but you don't get the internship you wanted again. I guess I'm just not good enough. I don't get the job when I'm done with college. I'm just not good enough. I'm not good enough. Everything I put my hand to is just never enough. And I started to believe this lie that God had created a mistake. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever been at this place where you feel like everything that I'm trying to go for in my, in my future, everything that I put my hand to, I'm just, I'm so inadequate. I, I, I keep on falling short. I'm just not good enough to get to this life that I know God has called me to. You see, when I was a child, I, I, I was a massive daydreamer. We, we all were. There's this thing about becoming an adult where this artistic mindset is reduced down to just reality. But at the same time, that thing that was inside of you when you were a small child, the thing that you dreamed about, the thing that brought wonder back to your life is still inside of you. And so that person that you saw yourself to be has just been covered by insecurity and lack of identity and an insecurity, an identity that might not be there anymore. But here's, here's the thing. If, if you walk away with anything today, this is what I want you to know. That the moment that you feel like that you're not good enough, the moment that you tell yourself, I'm not good enough, that is the moment that you've destroyed your future. The moment that you tell yourself, I'm not good enough for this thing. I'm not good enough to risk to go into this, this next life. That is the moment that you have killed your future. What I love about scripture, though, is that it is full of all of these characters. The, the, narratives, uh, the narrative of scripture is full of these underdogs that ultimately say, this isn't me, God. Like, this isn't me. I cannot become this thing that you have called me to become. Specifically, this whole idea it reminds me of the story of Gideon from Scripture. Now, if you're not familiar with Gideon, Gideon, it's one of the greatest underdog stories in, in all of Scripture. We have this kid who's just a farm boy. Scripture says that he was a thresher of wheat. He worked on a wheat farm. And at this time in Israel, Israel's history, the Israelites, they were under captivity from this nation called Midian. They're under the, the, the slavery of the Midianites. And Gideon, what we find here, the very beginning of, of the story of Gideon, we see Gideon just living his life to what he thinks is the fullest. So this is where we're going to pick up. We're going to pick up in Judges chapter 6. This is the very first time that we see Gideon in the story of scripture. It says this, one day the angel of God came to Gideon who was threshing wheat in the wine press out of sight of the Midianites. Now, I'm just going to stop right there. Look at what we see Gideon doing here. He is threshing wheat 
in a wine press. Now, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up working, working on farms and working with, with corn and wheat and, and that whole life. And thank God I'm not there anymore. But this is what I know about threshing wheat. It is real messy, y'all. It gets everywhere. There's a reason why combines now thresh wheat for us. But this is where what we see Gideon do in this, this first verse. He was threshing wheat in a wine press out of sight of the Midianites. He was threshing wheat in a barn, hiding away. And then I love this second verse. The angel of God, it appears to Gideon, and he says, God is with you, O mighty warrior. Now, this is interesting. A boy, a farm boy, hiding away in a barn, and the angel of God comes to him and calls him God's mighty warrior. Something here isn't making sense. So verse 13, Gideon replies to the angel of God, with, with me, my master, if God is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Why are we under captivity with the Midianites? Where are all the miracle wonders our parents, our grandparents told us about? They're telling us, didn't God deliver us from Egypt? And this is Gideon. The fact is, God has nothing to do with us, and he has turned us over to Midian. God's mighty warrior is complaining about his future of being a slave. I love this next verse. But God faced him directly. Y'all know when you get in trouble and you talk back to your parents and they like turn around, you know that's the death stare. I think this is like the death stare right here from God. He, uh, God faces Gideon directly and says this. Go in the strength that is yours. This is what God's saying here. Go in the strength that you don't even know that you have. Go in the strength that is already yours. Save Israel from Midian. Haven't I, God, just sent you into your future? But then Gideon, Gideon replies to him, with me, God, with me, how and with what could I ever save Israel? I mean, look at me. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the runts of the litter. You see, he was part of this family, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, and they were tribe 12 out of 12, kind of like the Lakers this last season. They were 12... <laughs> Uh, they were 12 out of 12. Gideon is saying, I am the weakest of the weak. I'm the least of the least. My clan were 12 out of 12. And in that family, I am the runt of the litter. And this is what I love. God says to him, I will be with you. You see, I think Gideon forgot where his strength came from. I think Gideon forgot who creates the future. So God says this, I'll be with you and believe me, you'll defeat Midian as one man. And what we see so much about the story of Gideon is Gideon goes on with just 300 soldiers and uses this creative, artistic, military genius idea and brings Israel out of captivity 
the problem is we talked so much about the end game of, of Gideon, the hero that he becomes. But a lot of times we forget and we neglect where Gideon came from. That he was just this farm boy. But you see, this is what I love about this narrative from Scripture. What I love about this is that twice God is calling Gideon into this forward future uh, moment where he's going to become the general of the Israelite army. And twice Gideon complains and then he says, God, this isn't me. I'm not good enough for this. You see... The thing I love about this story is that you never see God call him by the name Gideon. You only see him being called God's mighty warrior. The reason why, I think, is this. God didn't know Gideon by the name farm boy, by the name not good enough. He didn't know him by this name Gideon. He knew him only as God's mighty warrior. But I would say the same is probably true for some of us in this room, including myself. That a lot of times we forget what God calls us to be, who God says we are. And we carry around the name of inadequacy, insecurity, this name of I'm just not good enough. I can't make the future, God, filled with these monsters that tell me I'm never going to become anything worth more than what you see here. See, this is where Gideon was choosing himself and not choosing the future that God was creating him to live. You see, Gideon was choosing these names, and Gideon had to choose this future. Gideon had to believe that God had called him to something much bigger and better. And we even see in these verses, we see in this narrative that God reminds him, you have all the strength you could possibly possibly need, and I'm the one that gave it to you. If this tells me anything, it tells me this, that God has already chosen you. So maybe you just need to choose yourself. God has already chosen you. So maybe you need to choose yourself. And you might be sitting here saying, okay, Josh, it sounds great. But what does God have to say about me? I'm glad you asked. 1 Thessalonians, this is what I love. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, it lays it out so clearly for us. It lays it out so crystal clear that God has chosen us. It says this, that he has picked us out from the very start. It said that he has chosen you. It says that he has adopted you. For you to be adopted, you had to be chosen. You were called, you were loved, you were chosen. So, I want to give you just some ammunition for this monster fire we're going into. When you get into this place where you feel like, I'm just not good enough. I want, to ask, I want you to ask yourself three specific questions. I want you to ask yourself, who do I say that I am? Who does God say that I am? And which one are you going to believe? And then remind yourself of this verse, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, that God has chosen you from the very start, even before you could choose yourself, he chose you. 
that he loves you and he has called you and he has adopted you. He picked you out from the very start. So you may not feel good enough, but God has called you to be more than enough. God has already called you. So maybe today you just need to call yourself. You just need to choose yourself. This is what we see in the story of Gideon. This is the first thing we see, but that's not the only thing that Gideon had to do. You see, Gideon had to pick up the mantle. He had to choose himself because God has chosen him. But then Gideon also had to make the choice to step into his future. This is what we see in, in, in these stories. You see, Gideon, God, we knew that God was calling Gideon, but Gideon was denying that future, and Gideon had to step into what God wanted him to create. I think this, the, the same is true for, for us. The same is so true in, in our lives. We must walk into the path. See, today we have two options. We have the option of staying where we are. We have the option of staying status quo. You have the option of bearing the dream and the call and the creation deep inside of you. You have that option. But there's a second option. You have the option to risk it all, to rebuke the status quo, to say goodbye to the mundane and a mediocre life and choose a future that, yeah, it's going to be risky. We don't know what this is going to look like. I was just talking to Pastor Craig this morning. They didn't have a venue, y'all, a few months before this place launched, and they still said, we're moving here and we're risking it all because this is what God has called us to create. As I was writing this book, I got to learn about this um, amazing poet. Her name is Ruth Stone. Ruth Stone, she, she grew up in the, the, the rural landscape of Virginia, in, in these mountains. She's now 89 years old, still writing poetry, y'all. She's uh, known as one of the best uh, poets of, of our day. Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote the book Eat, Pray, and Love, she was interviewing Ruth Stone once, and she asked Ruth Stone, where does your creativity come from? And Ruth Stone said, I have to take you back to my childhood when I first became a poet, when that dream was instilled inside of me. I love what Ruth says. Uh, Ruth says that it was like a thunderous train of air when, when a poem would come to her. It was like a thunderous train of air, and it would come barreling down at me over the landscape. It would shake the earth under my feet, and I knew I had only one thing to do at that point. I had to run as fast as I could back to the house as I would be chased by this poem. I had to get to a piece of paper fast enough so when it thundered through me, I could collect it and I could grab it onto a page. Other times, I wouldn't be fast enough. I would be running and running and running and I wouldn't get to the house. And the poem would barrel through me and I would miss it. In this poem, it would continue across the landscape looking for another poet. She goes on to say, and I love this. That there was a few times when I would almost miss the opportunity to write the poem. I would get to the house, and as soon as I would get to the house, I would grab the pencil. She says this, I would physically reach out as a little girl, reach out and catch the poem by its tail. And I would pull it back into my body 
as I started to transcribe it onto the paper. I want you to get this. And then Ruth Stone, she said this, I would say to the poem, you are mine and this is my opportunity. And so it is with your future. So it is with the life that God has called you to create. He has created you to create a better future. He has imagined you to imagine a much fully alive life. And it's up to us to walk into that life. Just like Ruth said, that this, this future that God has for you, it is barreling down the landscape of your life, and you have two options, to let it go by, and this future that God has for you can, 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 can continue to somebody else, or you have the opportunity to catch, just like Ruth said, to catch that future by its tail. To bring it into your body and say, God, I choose this life. I choose the life that you have called me to create. And that's exactly what Gideon did. That is exactly what God is calling us to do as well. See, Gideon had to, first, he had to choose this future. But then Gideon had to make the choice to walk in it. Two very different things. You see, we need to understand that our identity lies inside of Jesus. And then we can walk into the great unknown. We can walk into this open journey. We can walk into the odyssey that is our future. And when we're at the end of our life, we can look back over our shoulders and see God's goodness in every single step that we took. But we first have to pick up our future. And so how I want to end today is simply this. I just want to ask you one specific question. What do you choose? What do you choose? You see, again, you have the option. You have the option to stay where you are. And every single one of you, I know there is something inside of you that you're saying, God has put this dream inside me, but I've buried it so deep down in the depths, in the dark corners of my soul because I'm not good enough to get there. What if we took on the story of Gideon, the narrative of Joseph, these people like David, Moses and Samson who were nobodies in scripture and yet God gave them the gifts of humanity. He gave them this gift of you being you. See, no one has ever been created like you. No one will ever be just like you ever again. And because you are original content, you can go down the landscape of your life into a future that looks like nobody else's future. You see, today, you see, today God is calling you into that future. God is looking for volunteers to say that I step up, that I'm ready, that I am walking into this future that looks like nobody else's. And God, yes, this is risky, but I am here to rebuke the status quo. I am here to say goodbye to the mundane and the mediocre, and that I am walking into a future. I'm walking into a future that is full of faith, of risk, of beauty, and wonder, and creativity. You have the option today. Stay where you are. But what if today 
begins the rest of your life. What if today is the day that you say, I step up? God, this is the moment that you've called me to walk into a new future. And I know a lot of us have these monsters of shame and regret and guilt. We have these monsters that tell us you're nobody. You could barely get through high school. You never went to college. You've been in job after job after job and nothing seems to line up. What if today you laid it all at the feet of Jesus and you walked into a future and you went for the thing that is inside of you? My friends, may we be the makers of a beautiful, beautiful future. May we start to fight the monsters that are inside of us. May today be the first day of the rest of our lives. Would you pray with me, God? God, this is our battle cry today. Jesus, this is our moment that we step up and we say we are ready. God, the, the, the future is risky. Maybe we don't even feel like we're designed for the thing that you know you're calling us to, but God, we're here. You've called us to a life that is full not a life that is the least of the least, a life where we feel like we're the runt of the litter. But God, you've called us to a place that is right next to you. You've called us to a life to create the future. Thanks again for listening to the Convo Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, do us a favor, subscribe to this podcast, rate and review us on iTunes, and share our podcast with your family, friends, and team members. If you live in the Reno area, come and be a part of Convo Church. Check us out on ConvoChurch.com and follow us on social media at Convo Church. We'll see you next time here on the Convo Church Podcast.